0: I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. I'm ready to get back into our study of 1 Peter, but the next section is on husbands and wives, and I felt like as we come to the Lord's table that maybe reflecting on the wise men would be a better choice for a day when we come to the table. Though there's a lot to be said about husbands and wives in reference to Christ dying. But I wanted to give it a bit more time than we would have. So we're going to look at Matthew 2. And I'm going to read on down a little further than I've said to verse verse 18. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, once again, Happy New Year. There's no greater way for us to bring in the new year than to be in worship. Uh, By being here today, you've already made an excellent beginning to 2017. We especially have the blessing of coming to the Lord's table today, a great opportunity to begin the year remembering Christ and renewing our covenant with him. And before us today, we have this account of the Magi that Matthew has shared with us, a great example of perseverance and sacrifice to worship Jesus the King. May every action of our lives be worship, such as theirs in 2017. Well, the gospel that Matthew has written for us, that we are Looking at today, or at least a portion of it today, uh, is mainly concerned with demonstrating that Jesus is the long anticipated Messiah promised in the Old Testament. He's setting out to make this case. Uh, he's, he quotes over 50 Old Testament prophecies and passages to prove that Jesus is the Messiah throughout this Gospel we have read three of those Old Testament texts in the 18 verses that we just read. So Jesus is the Messiah, indeed the great Messiah that was promised, the anointed one promised long ago who has come to be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. We see his greatness expounded throughout the Gospel of Matthew, but really, uh, especially here in these verses that we have read, we see his greatness, his, his being the Messiah, and this great king, uh, laid out before us in at least two ways, two ways that I want to expound upon today. First, we see his greatness shown by his worshipers. And then secondly, and oddly, we see his greatness shown by his enemies. Let's first look at these worshipers, these magi, these wise men from the east. Uh, The word for wise men here uh, is magi. They were probably from Babylonia or Persia, what we would consider modern-day Iraq, that area. Uh, They may have been from some other part of Arabia. In that area was where they were from. Magi were wise men in the sense that they were seers who interpreted dreams, they were diviners, um, they were experts in astrology and astronomy, uh, kind, of, kind of like wizards, if you, uh, you know, to put it in a Harry Potter parlance. They studied potions and they studied spells and they looked at the stars and they tried to find all kinds of wisdom in, in many places. We we actually get our word magician from this word magi. If you remember back in the Old Testament, Daniel. Daniel was uh, captured, taken into exile in Babylon, and he was schooled in all the ways of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were, were the people from whom these magi came. Uh, these were people who studied dreams and tried to interpret dreams. And you remember that they were the magi who were in Nebuchadnezzar's court, couldn't interpret their, uh, his dreams, and so they called on Daniel to help him out. And so Daniel was able to do so. Daniel would have been considered uh, one of the magi. Well, these men who came to worship Jesus were certainly dignitaries from some foreign court, Uh, We know that because when they arrive in Jerusalem, as it tells us here, they caused a stir. Here were some strangers from a foreign land who had come into Jerusalem, and and they were coming to worship some king that had been born uh, somewhere nearby. People were all disturbed about it. Well, they were Gentiles, they weren't Jews, but through their study of the stars, they discover that a great king has been born. And so they decide to come and see this great king. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. When we look out in creation, we might get a sense that, yes, there is a creator who created all this beauty. Well, these men were experts, as I said, in studying astronomy and astrology and trying to read the stars. They were looking to the heavens, and there they rightly discerned uh, what they saw there. And they traveled thousands of miles in response to what they saw there. This star that was an in indicator that one had been born king of the Jews. And you notice that when they uh, come and they express what they want to do, uh, they say it's they want to come and pay homage to this one who has been born king of the Jews, not has been born to become king of the Jews. They say, he's already the king. He's already king of the Jews, and we want to come worship him, bow down to him, present rare and expensive gifts to him to show their respect and their joy at his birth. Their only recorded words in this whole account is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You'll notice that they are very forthright in saying that they come to worship him. They're not shy about it or apologetic about it. It's a, it's a natural response to, for them to come thousands of miles to worship this great king. And the word for worship used here is uh, used throughout the New Testament, but it's only used in reference to a divine object or a supposed divine object. And I don't mean that, that in reference to Jesus. Either Jesus is worshipped, using this word, uh, or, for example, someone may worship an angel. For example, John in Revelation, when the angel appears to him and he bows down to worship this one, and he says, you know, don't worship me, worship the Lamb. The word is only used as a in reference to a divine object. So they have come to worship a king, but one who they consider God. But they've lost the trail. They've come to Jerusalem, naturally. Uh, They follow the star to this point, and they think they've arrived at their destination. Of course, of course, Jerusalem was the capital city, and so they would expect to find a king born in the capital city, but they do not find him there and after the interview with Herod, uh, they continue on their way. And then the star reappears and leads them to Bethlehem. And it says there, it's a wonderful verse, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When you read that in the original language, they, it's like they were overjoyed with great joy. I mean, its in other words, they did their happy dance. They saw that star and they broke out. They were so excited, they were probably jumping around and hooting and hollering, and they they went in to worship because they were single-minded to go and worship this king. And they thought they lost the the, the trek. So they get so they get there. They they go to Bethlehem, a few miles outside of Jerusalem, to the city of David, where Jesus was born to fulfill the messianic prophecy. They bowed the knee, presented their gifts. They were the first of many Gentiles to worship Christ. We are here uh, as their their uh, after, after people, people who have come after <laughs> the, the Magi. We Gentiles too are bowing the knee and bringing our worship to Christ. Well, we see that these, these foreign dignitaries come to worship him. Jesus must be a great and important person. And they certainly were right in their understanding that baby Jesus was important and great before he actually did anything at all. I mean, he's just a baby. He hasn't done anything. But yet they're coming to worship him, to pay homage to him. They spared no effort. They spared no time or expense. Their journey could have been two years. And when Herod asked them about when they saw the star... That's how he ascertains to start murdering babies two years, older, two years old and younger. So they've been on a long journey. And it's one that, to them, is well worth it. So they spared no effort, time, or expense. These gifts that they brought, the, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, were very expensive and rare gifts. And Jesus hadn't even done anything yet. What about us? Think about us. We know that everything Jesus has done. We know what he did throughout his life. We know what he did in his death and the meaning of that. We know that he rose from the dead. Do we worship him the way the the magi came to worship him? Will we worship him this year, not just on Sundays, but will we live a life of worship, ascribing worth to him, Uh, obeying Him, listening to Him, considering Him in every decision that we make and everything that we do. I point you to that quote from John Calvin on the front of the bulletin. If the sight of a star had so powerful effect on the Magi, woe to our insensibility, who now that Christ the King has been revealed to us are so cold in our inquiries after Him. I want to encourage all of us to inquire after Christ, to seek Christ like the Magi did, to worship Christ, to bow the knee before him and proclaim Him your king today and throughout this year and for the rest of your lives. So Jesus' greatness is shown by these people who come to worship him. Uh, they, they, they made a lot of effort to come because he's worth it. We should too. Well, Jesus' greatness is oddly shown by his enemies as well. We see this uh, from two uh, two avenues. First, we've got the religious leaders. When Herod inquires of the religious leaders, uh, he asks, you know, where and when's the Messiah going to be born? And they point him to Bethlehem. They say he's supposed to be born, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, verse 5. And then they quote the prophecy concerning Bethlehem. You'll notice here that not one of the scribes not one of the religious leaders, the high priests, not one of them bother to accompany the wise men on their journey. They don't show up at the house. They don't come to worship Christ or to present anything to Christ. These people have come from thousands of miles to, and they're saying that here's one born king of the Jews and They rightly identify that it's the Christ. You know, Herod talks, where's the Christ to be born? They're rightly saying that he's the Messiah. They know he's the Messiah, yet they can't be bothered to go and investigate for themselves, let alone worship him. It was just a few miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, yet they didn't even bother to inquire. You would think religious people would at least be interested to check it out, but they don't. And then there's Herod. This is Herod the Great. There are several Herods throughout Scripture. This is the first of the Herods. He started the, the Herodian dynasty. Uh, he's styled here as a king. He wasn't really a king. He was governor of Judea. He was uh, put in place by the Romans. He wasn't Jewish. He was actually of Edomite descent. And if you go back in the Old Testament, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Jacob, Esau, brothers, twin brothers. Uh, Jacob, of course, is the one uh, who's the the line through which we get the nation of Israel, and through Esau comes the nation of Edom. Herod was from from those that group, so he wasn't Jewish. He reigned a long time there, uh, 40 years or so, and he was a tyrant. He was a horrible human being, but an effective leader. He had a lot of building projects that he accomplished, namely, or most importantly, the temple. He rebuilt the temple, the second temple, the the, the Herodian temple, uh, and and he spared no expense doing that. And he had many other building projects as well. Masada, uh, the great fortress, was one of those, and and many others throughout Judea. Uh, even though he was a great builder he was, and, and also he kept the peace with an iron fist, uh, he was a tyrant. He put to death one of his wives, killed at least three of his sons. Uh, he was willing to put anyone to death to further his agenda, as we see here in the text before us, putting to death even little babies. So he was not popular. He tried to gain favor from the Jews, that was one reason why he built the temple. But they didn't like him because of his tyrannical ways. But we see Herod here, instead of inquiring about Jesus, he wants to put him to death. He's greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, verse 3 tells us, when he encounters these foreign dignitaries who come to worship the king, and the fact that they say that one born king of the Jews is, is has arrived. I'm sure he was jealous and wanted to protect his own power. It reminds me of, of the Jewish leaders when they actually did put Jesus to death. If we let Jesus go on this way, the Romans will come and take our place in our nation, they said. And so they crucified Jesus. Herod was of the same cloth. He put people to death. He was seeking to put Jesus to death, this Messiah to death. Well, you know, you can look at that and think, well, why does that show that Jesus is great? Well, he was obviously a threat to Herod, but a lot of people were a threat to Herod, and he would kill a lot of people. It was not something that was unusual. But if we look at this on a greater spiritual plane, which is where the real battle is taking place, we see that Satan and the forces of evil are sparing no expense to try to stop God, to try to stop the Messiah from coming into the world. In Revelation 12, there's an interesting passage. It says this, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was, carrying out, was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Well, that's worthy of a of a sermon all of, unto itself, but suffice it to say that this is referring to Christ's birth. Uh, the, the child is being born is Christ because it tells us that he's the one who is to rule all the nations, and he was caught up to God and to his throne, the ascension of Christ. So Christ is born, but the dragon, the symbolic of Satan, wants to devour the child, and the woman. Uh, we're tempted to call her Mary, but probably most likely that's a symbol of the church because at the end she's exiled into the wilderness. Jesus came from the people of God. He was one of the people of God. So the church, Old Testament church, gave birth to Christ in essence. He came from uh, the the tribe of Judah. He was one of God's people. Uh, Of course, he was God's son. So he's born, but the dragon wants to destroy and that's Herod is being a tool of Satan here. And these poor children of Bethlehem are his victims. They're in his way and they're devoured in the process. But suffice it to say, just like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, Herod is being used by Satan, a tool of Satan to destroy God. But God will not be, his plan, his, his purpose will not be thwarted. The greatest evil in the world cannot thwart God's purposes. Even when they did kill Jesus, they finally got him. They finally put him to death on the cross. But it was all according to God's plan. It was all according to God's purposes in redeeming his people. They thought that they were accomplishing something by putting Jesus to death for their own uh, agenda to be furthered. But really, when, putting, when they put Christ to death, they furthered God's agenda to save his people from their sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was sacrificed for us so that we might be free. So even his enemies show us the importance of God, the importance of Christ who was born. That... A little baby would cause a great king to do such a horrible thing as to murder babies in Bethlehem as a tool of Satan, of course. But it shows the greatness of Christ and the importance of Christ. Do we place that same greatness and importance on Christ? Not that we want to kill him or shove him uh, to the side or, or ignore him like the religious leaders did, but you know what? We do that sometimes. We don't want him having to say so in our lives. We don't want to be obedient to him. We don't want to bow the knee to him. We want to do what we want to do. We want to be the king, just like Herod wanted to be the king. But when we ought to be like the Magi, to come and bow the knee, and to spare no expense to worship him, because of what he's done for us, at least. And for who he is, but also for what he's done for us. Which is what we're thinking about at the table we're remembering christ and his great sacrifice for us that we can be forgiven that we can be brought back into god's family to be his children that's why christ came that's why it's important to worship him with our lives because of who he is and what he's done for us maybe we remember these things in 2017 as we press forward January 1st all the way to December 31st next year. May we be able to look back at this time next year and say this was a year of great growth in my relationship with the Lord, uh, of great times of worship. I I learned to worship in a deeper way. I learned to worship Him not just on Sunday morning, but uh, to worship Him with my life, to serve Him in in all aspects of my life. May we resolve this year, and may we ask God's grace to allow us to be true worshippers like the Magi. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of the Magi. And Lord, may we, Gentiles ourselves, spare no expense, time, and effort to put you first, to bow the knee to you, and to serve you. And Lord, we pray now as we come to your table that we would indeed recognize our sinfulness, our need for you, and to enjoy the grace that we find in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the promise and hope of a future forever with you when we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.